Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. This week's episode, we feature Angelo Arnold, an Ohio native, currently living and working in Vermont. Angelo talked at great length about all of his sculpture, how it's transitioned along the way, and important developments. So, again, a very fun and insightful conversation about his work. As always, we just invite you to check out the Studio Break blog. We've got a ton of interviews and slideshows up there for your listening pleasure, so please check that out. Once again, you can subscribe to Studio Break in the iTunes store. Just search for Studio Break under podcasts and become a subscriber there to get new episodes each and every time they come out. And lastly, we'd really appreciate it if you left us feedback there. And you can also follow us on Facebook, the community page. We've got a ton of new images up and previews for upcoming shows and current shows and all sorts of stuff like that. So it's a fun place to find out more information. All right, now that we got that out of the way, here is Angelo Arnold. Stay tuned. All right, welcome to Studio Break today. I'm really happy to be joined by Angelo Arnold. How are you this morning? Good, Dave. How are you doing? Good, good. And I I always wind up chatting with people for way too long before this, but again, it's been, I think, roughly like five years or something like that since we uh, we met at a... Vermont Studio Center, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about that at some point and, uh, you know, your time there, but um, as always, I'd like to start out uh, at the beginning, um, so if you could just kind of give a kind of general background to start where you're where you're from, and um, I'm curious, because especially, you know, the kind of work that you make, I, I wonder what, what certain uh, childhood kind of tendencies were, but uh, if you could just talk about that, that'd be great. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I'm from Ohio. Um, I was born in Akron, Ohio. Uh, we grew up kind of close to uh, between Akron and Cleveland. Um, as a childhood, I played a lot with furniture. Had an Italian grandma who sometimes would not let us on furniture. Um, so that kind of came for this area, I think, deep down inside where I started playing with that medium of furniture. Um, I was one of those kids who... Uh, you know, sort of struggled with dyslexia, so I had a hard time reading. Um, but you'd give me a bunch of things, put me in a corner, and I would, you know, play with those and kind of develop my own world um, without really bothering or pestering anybody. Um, and um, I went to school at Ohio State, uh, got my BFA there, went back later on, uh, ended up getting my MFA there. Um, it's a great, great university. You know, we got Ann Hamilton there, so that was kind of cool. It's a big recruiter, real good to work with, great faculty, and um, ended up coming out here to take a job with the students. So. And here I am today. Never mind. <laughs> well, I guess the first thing that I need to ask is that um, I don't, I don't know why, and maybe you could just even kind of fake all of these pictures now, but I, I expect like a photo album of just like these ridiculous like tree forts or, or like um you know like forts filled with like cushions and blankets and stuff did you have that going on when you were young oh yeah absolutely absolutely my mom uh my mom worked the, the late shift <laughs> she was a nurse mm-hmm. and so i had to be quiet too um my dad worked in a day so to entertain myself i was actually doing those exact same things uh building forts um doing things you're not supposed to do um playing drums on like you know the uh, pots and pans, driving mom crazy. Sure. But, yeah, um, shelters were a great thing for me, blankets, um, creating these weird spaces. And then um, 
you know, when I grew up, you know, the G.I. Joe was pretty popular. Mm-hmm. Um, some other, like, huge action figure type of plastic toys. Um, not to mention all the, like, uh, superheroes. So I had those, and I would create them environments and caves, kind of forts as well, play with a lot of cardboard. Um, didn't really like it as a kid, you know, because it's just like, right. um, dirty cardboard. But now as an adult, I love cardboard. <laughs> you can do anything to it. Right. So, so yeah, I would build them forts and, you know, because my parents have a lot of money for, like, all the other accessories that came with the action figure, mm-hmm. you know. Sure. So I'd have this, and I had to create my own environment. So I, I think that really helped me, my imagination. And I was always creative. Our family's creative. And <clears throat> I was drawn to drawing. Um, but I would just get um, frustrated at the end result of it. But when I would make something, I got so much more gratification. And I think I went further and deeper into the whole spatial relationship of what I was doing. And I think, you know, that... That transferred over still to today. It's, you know, I like to draw, um, and everything comes from that 2D media. It's kind of like a catalyst. Mm-hmm. Um, but I leave it as it is. I don't try to show the world, hey, look what I can do. Um, my wife encourages me to do that. But, you know, I'm more about building, possibly bruising, cutting my hands, or sure. you know, poking out an eye, or doing something with that. And it's more tactile. I get more out of it. It seems to take more energy and more time. Sure. You know, and with having that attention span with dyslexia when you can't really drawing seems to be like that. There seems like there's this more serious order. Um, like you're developing a paper, you're developing, you know, some kind of report in a sense. And it's still marking and you're developing that. Where three D there's more parts that are involved in making that object. And to me, I think that keeps my focus. And I learn new things all the time, how to problem solve. Oh, I wish I would have known how to do this like two years ago. And it's really from that childhood of building environments for my toys and my world um, to provide them entertainment as well as entertain me all day, which kept me out of my mom's hair and let her sleep. Sure. I think it was a win-win. Sure. Well, and um, it makes me curious, you know, because, I mean, um, you know, you talk about, you know, before this, even just kind of what I learn about people, um, and it just strikes me that, you know, I don't, you know, I didn't, I didn't have that frame of mind. So, you know, when I was in high school or grade school, you know, aside from just drawing on folders and stuff like that, when I started taking classes, they were all, again, mostly 2D. So, you know, being someone that's kind of driven that way, um, was there like a an outlet for that that was school related in in terms of you're getting more interested in in the arts, or was it something that you'd always be doing like separately in terms of oh. as you study studied art? Right. Well, it was kind of always second. Um, my my father uh, was a software developer and had his own company when I was in high school because he was tired of working with people. Um, so there was always that fallback of that whole logic of you, know, you're, you don't want to be in arts unless it's like something that could be considered a higher standard of art, which at that time would have been graphic design, or advertising, or architecture. And um, 
So I was drawn to architecture, tree houses and decks, and doing things that had to do with sight. But I really wasn't concerned about the shell, the box, or the environment that we lived in, because sometimes I just think that they presume that they knew how we lived in a space, and that's what we had. There was no alternative to it. Um, there was, you know, the metal shop and the wood shop, you know, and ceramics in high school. So to get back to that point, like, my parents didn't really push me into that. They accepted my creativity and accepted that I like to draw sharks and dinosaurs and comic book and like to build these weird cardboard things. And my dad was pretty handy, but he wasn't really that crafty as far as your hands and being a carpenter or carving, but he was really smart. So mm -hmm. he did the best he could to entertain me to build little, you know, scrap pieces of wood things, you know, sure. ships, boats, tanks, whatever, bunkers. Um, and so to really get the most out of you know, uh, high school, I, I didn't. I did what you had to do, and it, it was always an extra class. Like, some of my best friends, they're like, that was what they did. I kind of spread that out with cooking, you know, sewing and choir because there were girls, you know, the whole nine yards, you know what I mean? Um, it wasn't always one until towards the end. My, my dad died right after high school, and he was really sick during high school. And my senior year, I was just done with high school. I was like, you know, Fuck you, people! I'm out of here. So I fixed my schedule to graduate early, and then I just took a load of art classes, just so I can, you know, be by the kiln and just try to get that bad energy out, you yeah. know, and feel good like I used to when I was younger. And I think that with, you know, working with a buddy who was starting to build decks and signs, I think it just all came together. It was like, well, I'm going to study landscape architecture. Mm -hmm. And be maybe a sculptor or, you know, be something that's building something, not a carpenter. Um, so that's what led me to really go to school and study landscape architecture, decide that when I was 30, I didn't want to be the guy designing the roads or the right. guy who designed the swale so it didn't flood or the right. person who did the tree medium. I was like, no, dude, I don't want to be the guy downtown doing the cool plazas, you know, the Oh, they hire artists to do that. Right. Hey, OSU, can I get some of that money back? <laughs> so then I went back into art, and, you know, I had a girlfriend that was like, no, you don't want to be a starving artist. I'm like, no, look at them all. They're, they're not, none of them are starving. <laughs> now look at us. <laughs> so, yeah, um, really didn't get as much out of it as I wanted to. Mm -hmm. I got a good diversity, you know, which was fun because I liked to cook stuff in school and eat it. Mm -hmm. But everyone else was taking their math. Mm -hmm. um, that was cool. Making an apron, getting made fun of, but hey, that's cool. Sure. You, know, you made it. Sure. It's cool. Um, but no, I really didn't do that until I could get away and just focus on Angelo and like what I would like to do with my life rather than somebody else saying, we want you to be an engineer, dude. Right, right. It should be a doctor. Sure, sure, mean? sure. Well, it's less so, stressful. Well, I was going to just say. So, I mean, what, what was it like in terms of the earlier, the earlier stuff that you did for for your art degrees? Then, you know, in, in terms of, it must have been. I don't know. Was it was it a very liberating experience in terms of seeing, you know, all these possibilities that you would have? And and I and again, I I, I know that there's a, a reputation for the 3D, especially from from Ohio. So. Um, 
what, what was that like? I mean, did you just kind of get involved in every little thing that you could kind of deal with? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. It was, um, the, the, the pedagogy is still amazing. Um, it's still based on that traditional, mm-hmm. but there's all this other conceptual stuff that gets sprinkled on the entire time. But you get to really get in there and do it. And I've been to the, a couple different institutes, and I've seen their boundaries, and I've seen everything that they do. But um, it was really hands-on, process-oriented. And the reason why you do this or what you could do with it. And each one, you know, the, you know how art school was. Each one has your foundation. And each one has a project that you need to follow and cater to. But with our faculty who was young at the time, really exciting, doing a lot of great things. The program was slowly building. Anne was coming back to Columbus to stay. And so that helped. And um, we had glass and we had a foundry and we had metal shop and wood shop and um, Mr. Wexner gave us tons of money we built a whole new edition and then also we got more grad students and um, Ohio State and VCU always had this weird connection we got a lot of people from them coming to the grad school here and we sent a lot of undergrads to go there so it was like and a lot of our faculty switched back and forth it was pretty cool um, but there was always this awareness of, of like the traditional, really looking and investigating that space. Um, and I sort of picked up a little bit of, with the landscape architect program too. Like every little space, the curve, the crack, the grout between the brick. It, you know, our sculpture department was the same way. It's like all those materials almost had to be specific to your idea to make the idea really smart. And that's true. I see a lot of young sculptors today who don't do that, who accidentally convey the wrong message or their message is misinterpreted because they're not being specific enough. And um, so in order to learn all the materials, and it wasn't like, oh, here you go, here's the materials, good luck. Or you walk into it and there's 18 little welding shops and vortex and you just make a box. I mean, there had to be reasons and techniques and hey develop something else and what can you do with this let's take it apart and redo it um and like I said it was it was great it was fantastic because uh you know I didn't never forged in high school never cast anything other than little tiny aluminum things and little, little tiny crucible and a little tiny ceramic you know burner um, and the things we were able to do and get involved with the environmental outside work um, with different areas of all in fact was really great and we had you know it's half state the hell no gas well so the glass coming out of there is amazing you know we can work with the glass you know with the foundry um, the glass factory is amazing and it it was just and it was away from main campus um, so it was like you you sort of built your own community and you help each other out and you learn from other people's mistakes and triumphs and it's over there always a good type group you know from back when I went there until the pumping out you know people today that are amazing technology too has changed so much sure and um they're grad students I'm quite I'm still friends with quite a few of my grad students when I was an undergrad which you know I thought were heroes when I was an undergrad right just normal dudes like me today you know <laughs> <laughs> but they were heroes when I was a kid and um so 
it, it was a great experience. I'm, I'm kind of glad I went there rather than um, I mean, my other favorite place to go would be Micah. Right. I like Baltimore. I think it's just pretty and cool or something about it. Um, and but it's more of it's more of that industrial. This is what I do. My students shouldn't make this, and you right. go out doing that. You know, Buckeye Land is not like that. It's like, you know, they're, they're like, we want your individuality out there, whatever your craft is, make it better. Sure. So, you know, you can make minimal craft. It can still read well, or you can have that, you know, pathetic aesthetic. And coming from, I hate to sound sure, but coming from Ohio State, you know, that just doesn't work unless it's so specific that, oh, I know what you're saying. Right. Not just, oh, so you want me to... You know, imagine my world. It's like one of my objects not being a poster. Right. My fans are like, like, can't you imagine it? <laughs> so that's kind of like the, the twist. You know, they, they want your craft to be professional. Right. Um, and they want your intellectual process to be, you know, the best it can be. So I thought it was great. I don't have any complaints. I try to encourage so many students, hey, don't go to hundred thousand dollars in debt. Go to an institution where you can get research money, travel grants, material grants, stipends, sure. eat it up. It's great. Because when you're out of there, good luck, Mr. Adjunct. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well and that's you know, nice and I think like something like seventy percent at this point of classes, but uh might have to edit that out. I'm going to make a little note here, actually. One of the nice yeah, things about if this... If I say anything bad, I don't mean to edit that out. Well, I have to worry about these things. So I'm going to make a note here to start back up again, just so that I'm able to do this, which we've got a couple more seconds, so... Um, So I wanted to ask you then, you know, because obviously it sounds then like there's a, a you know great deal of interest in terms of craft and then, you know, that, that ability to kind of think through something and, and you know, really make it your own. Um, what were the, I guess, what was the first maybe couple of pieces that you can think of that really, I don't know, seemed less of a, a project and more of, you know, like what you wanted to do, what you were interested in? And, and again, I don't know, that could, that could probably have, that could have happened two I hope it didn't happen two weeks ago, but... Now, there was there was a kind of two turning points. Um, one was uh, in '91 in our wood construction class. Um, it was an environmental. It was an environmental piece, so you had to find a site and react to it, do something really specific to it, uh, or interesting to the space. And at the time, the Wexner Center was just opening up in Columbus, and they asked our professor if and the kids wanted to do anything, and everyone said no except for two of us. And they had this huge metal trellis that ran right through the building and talked about the old grid and the new grid, and right in front of that was Ohio State Oval, which is huge. The planes fly over that all day long, going 15th to the airport. So I made a 24-foot paper airplane out of wood. So it was all laminated, stuck in the trellis. And um, I think it was at that moment it didn't feel like work, it was just like, this is, this is awesome, this is amazing. Sure. And once you get it up there and look at it, step back and take pictures of it, and people point and talk about it, you just get this feeling like, yeah, I could do this. Sure. I could do this. Um, and then I started getting into plaster and blankets, using a lot of graphite. 
So a lot of my undergrad stuff has nothing to do with my graduate work and what I do now. Um, so I was doing a lot of stuff that looked like morbid cast-led things or like all these emotions and stuff I never really, I guess, never got out from the death of my father holding it in all these years. So they were kind of dark, but they were very beautiful and nice. Um, then the third moment was when when I first went back to school, I was trying to do this work with ethnic cleansing. So I was making scrub brushes with human teeth. And just trying to find all these maps of places where, you know, genocide is unfortunately taking place, whether it's religion or war or race, or color, or eye color, whatever. And trying to overlay all these maps. Um, to try to figure out, maybe there's something wrong with the lands. So I started making these topography teeth tiles. But then I wanted this sink to go with the scrub brush, as long as I did. Um, pulled this beautiful oak dumpster, uh, a dresser out of the dumpster. Took it all apart to get some coddles mm-hmm. to make a porcelain mold. And when I had them all laid out of the studio, I mean, I'm very material and tactile, always have been. It was so gorgeous. Even the mason I had, I couldn't destroy it. So I put it all back together as the same spec as a utility sink and hung it on the wall. So then I have this dresser looking thing on the wall and after I stood back I was like that's I think that's it that's how do you upholster it right and so from that point on is where I am today it's just that uh, you know taking something that we have in our house and it's, it's, it's crafted really well we're used to that and I'm trying to take that craft that we're used to put it in a gallery setting now where people first dismiss it when they walk by because they're like, furniture, that's not hard. Until they come back to mine after they've seen the show and realize that, wow, this, this isn't furniture at all. This is it's pretty crazy. Right. Uh, so that those three moments were, were that really the catalyst for in the sea and fertilizer now all the water that are making all this stuff and could be and grow to what I'm doing now sure um, like some of my friends like my old stuff um, and I still do have a certain attachment to it but I can see the other day when um, my wife talked about this interview and someone's writing a catalog trying to get a book together and I was going through all my old school you know, work, and you know, it's just like, it all starts to tie together. Oh my God, there's fabric and there's figure that's missing, and we are the sculptures, and my pieces are observing us, and there's still this missing void, and, you know, now it's still fabric, and I'm still building these personal vessels, and it's just like, damn, it really does work. <laughs> right. It's, it's really, the artist statement really does make sense, and what I'm doing still really makes sense and all this stuff I didn't even think about until I opened that old binder and started dumbing through the 90s the beginning of the 2000s I'm just like holy shit this is pretty cool (laughs) it's actually a timeline like uh, one of the curators I'm working with down here said that it's starting to all make sense they can see the experiments and and the ones I didn't put together but the ones I changed and and how I grew from those mistakes or those triumphs and um the new work, how this shape is born from this shape over here, and now it's getting smarter. And sleeker, not so much, oh, it looks just like it looks. I don't need to say that anymore, you know? Sure. I used to have this feeling of trying to make it so, you know, perfectly wrong um, that 
I don't really need, because it's still that vocabulary. And that all came from when I came to the studio center, I wanted to take this couch and turn it into a knot and have this. And I think I remember even hanging out with you and having a, having a pint at the bonfire talking about, like, this not huge couch thing, but the schematics of doing that and being a sculptor and storing everything, right. it's just a nightmare. Yeah, I, even though I want to get back to, you know, specifically a lot of the things that you're just talking about, I, I can't help but think that, and it's kind of been a running theme lately for me, as people have pointed out, is just this uh, that cyclical idea. And um, it's weird because I, I get so attached to some of these things that I wonder how many artists are really just hoarders. Right. You know, because it's just like there's, you know, there's something that you might have done, and I have, you know, stuff that I'd done such a long time ago, but I'm just like, I can't get rid of this. Right. You know, so it's it's kind of weird, you know, we kind of, I don't know, we really are kind of developing this whole, this whole lifespan of work, Ho- hopefully, you know. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I wanted to ask about, you know, and, and something that, you know, we like to talk about, it, and I think especially you talk about is process. So, you know, you, you describe this moment of kind of having this um, dresser mounted on the wall and, you know, after you kind of put it back together and everything, you know, where do you see, how do you, how do you expand on those possibilities then? I mean, and I guess if you could kind of walk us through that process, is a lot of it, you know, intuitive in terms of the way that you talk about getting your hands on, on the materials and kind of playing around with that? Do you do a lot of drawing? Um, do you do, you know, small models or... What's that process like in terms of expanding that now that you have like this, you know, this green light to just kind of go through and just do all this stuff? Um, yeah, the the process is is very similar to what you just said for sure. Um, I think the only new addition to this, and I'll come back to it, is uh, starting to learn uh, from some of my students some software, uh, Atlantis, and, and some. Uh, Sketch up, trying to learn some CAD for next year to do some milling projects. Um, put that aside. They they come from ideas and memories. Um, a lot of them are, are always drawings or sketches. I've I have a really hard time, and this probably came from my childhood. Is is is, is like ruining something very special. So whenever I get a brand new sketchbook, you know, one that's got the binding on it, it looks all nice. It's so hard for me to open that thing and draw one thing. It's just like, oh, my God. And all the sketchbooks start that way. Like, the first three pages are immaculate. And then the rest of it's just like right. the rest of my desk. <laughs> and so I actually have to take, you know, you know, other types of books to begin the process. And right. I feel more comfortable with that. It could be that, you know, falling asleep in high school and drawing. You know, I don't know what it is. Um, so a lot of it are drawings, different images, and, um, words, you know, lyrics. I play the guitar, so a lot of weird things come up, and visual imagery comes up as well. Um, and I like to take all that and put it in a book, and sometimes those ideas come back, but sometimes those drawings get drawn again larger scale. So they start to, this process, of, this very linear process now of, like, it's got the idea, it's got the doodle, now it's got like a preliminary sketch, almost thinking architecture now. You know, it's got this object. Well, how do I make that object? And since I need to upholster most of my medium right now, um, I have to design everything backwards. 
you know, because upholstering is all backwards. What you think goes on first goes on last. So you need to problem solve before you start doing this. And I think that's just wisdom and working in the studio long enough and working with objects long enough that I hate to stop and backtrack and problem solve when you're in that zone. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's really difficult to, to get psychologically back into it because that's right in the middle when it usually breaks down. You know, right. and you needed a nailer or you needed to sew another piece on that you didn't think you need or you cut too short, you know, or you needed to hide this seam so it looks like it was sewn. So I try to figure all that out on paper, then go to cardboard, break it all down to cardboard, make a little model, and then that, that helps me determine, like, well, how much is this going to cost? Right. Where can I get the... Is it going to be wood? Is it going to be metal? Um, is it going to be cardboard? Is it going to be foam cord? How much... Is it middle class now? Is it, is it upper class fabric? Right. You know, what's the personal, you know, allowances I have here to, to make this successful? And then it's to start actually building things. Sure. And um, they always don't turn out exactly how they look, but nothing really does. Right. Uh, there's always something that happens whether it's the scale or whether it's the emotion or whether it's just the technical tools that we have, you know? Sure. Um, and then it's sort of tested with, you know, you know, the quality control, uh, my peers. And a lot of it is still tinged based on um, an idea. And I'm trying to get all these little components to this idea because I may need that to fabricate this thing. Uh, I used to call them tests and uh, just you know, sort of mock-ups, big models when I was in grad school because I didn't feel comfortable telling my professor, that, oh yeah, that's art because I was tired of getting this all the mm-hmm. time. Um, but they are. They are pieces in themselves. You know, each one before they become large scale. And it helps. It really does help. You know, it's just like, it's like you guys. It's probably a hell of a lot easier to come in there and just get to work when you've got all your blues, all your greens, all your pinks all ready to go. Sure. You don't have to mix all this shit up. Sure. Right in the middle of it. I mean, that's just like, ugh. Might as well just go have a cheeseburger now. Sure. You know, start again tomorrow or start later. No, 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 and I think it makes sense to kind of even think about it like that, because I think that, you know, for as much as I, I don't know, I, I think it's for as much as someone might gravitate towards a particular kind of work that they do, you oftentimes forget about those little preparation kind of things that are very similar, you know, in some ways. Um, and I, I wanted to ask you, though, you know, because I would think that um, your background then in terms of having, you know, uh, the landscape architecture is that something that you find kind of really helps make you think about it in a much more realistic way? I mean, it seems very, like, it seems very practical in, in, a, in a way that you might, if you're just a sculpt, sculpture student, you know, and maybe that's all your background, um, you n- might not think about, you know, the cost of materials or, you know, making sure that you plan this thing out to a T. So I'd imagine that would be something pretty big. Yeah, it's, it is pretty important. And I think, I think my... You know, intu- being intu- intuitive to that stuff, 
I think it comes from two things. I, I love nature, and where I grew up, there's plenty of valleys and parks to go hang out. And I liked how they cut the trails, and, you know, the switchbacks. I like the views. And so they were like these perfect little settings. And come back to what you asked me about, like, being real little, building these things. Um, I think it was like when the blanket was down, that was the topography, and I had to work with what was there because I don't think I had the mindset to change the blanket. Mm-hmm. You know? And that comes true, too, with some young artists who are working with space, whether it's architecture, landscape architecture, or site-specific architecture, I mean sculpture, um, is it needs to, if it works within one, and you barely know it's there, it's so successful. Because you're tying all those components to make it a, almost a, you know, may say I live in Vermont too long, but a living organism. It's breathing. It's, it is its own thing, but it's it's so well conceived in its sight that if you walk right past it and didn't know it was there, then it's like the perfect design, I think. Um, I think it has helped, uh, but still that, that hands-on, that, that, that feeling, that physicality of like, is this really what I want to make? Sure. Not quite sure this is it. Rather than, oh, I'm making this thing, Dave, where'd you come to the studio and say, and get halfway done and you stop by a month later and be like, yeah, what's up with the thing? <laughs> oh, blah, 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 blah. You know, I hate that stuff. You right, know? right. Because well, it may not work. It may be the ugliest thing, but the <laughs> material that you can sure. best when you get it up large scale, it's just like, <gasps> oh, shit. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Well, and it, you know, I think it's hard. It's so hard not to get away from that idea of material. Anyways, I would imagine that yeah. it must be really difficult to keep track of you when you go out to the store or something. I don't know why. I can just imagine you being very easily distracted by something. But um, you know, what what do you do? You just kind of find find that you back yourself in the corners in terms of like you know being seduced almost by the material and then kind of figuring out something to do with it or, or how does that work because I, I would imagine there's pieces that come very easy then and then some that come much much more with much more work I guess yeah um, but I mean what are there specific choices and I, and I think everybody can kind of you know remember a time um, when things were in a different style and the lobby shifted shortly I'm sure back to it um, I noticed that the retro 80s like high top sneakers are in my classes again, and it's like weird. But um, I was just gonna say because I can remember like green shag carpeting is something that you know you can kind of associate with a certain period. But I mean, you know, aside from that kind of older kind of motif, I mean, um, what what kind of gra- draws you in? You know, in terms of working with the new material. Um, that's a good question. A lot of it, a lot of it has to do with um, the emotion or the feeling I'm trying to get on that particular piece. If it's something personal, a story, some type of narration that may not be interpreted exactly how I want it to be, which mm-hmm. is fine because it still works, um, then I'm more talking like middle class type tapestries. I'm trying to find something that looks familiar to me to help my story as I'm building it, you know, to help me think more about that specific memory that I could really pop out and you know, tighten up where someone could get that same feeling who's around my age. Um, some fabrics deal with the type of, like, you know, uh, appropriate or scavenged wood or 
or found objects, so I may want to talk about a specific period of design, um, or I may think something's god-awful ugly or absolutely gorgeous, um, and try to recontextualize that so it does the opposite for you guys. Um, perfect example is um, I have one, a new one that's at a show right now called Keep Trucking. It's got this little 70s print. It's orange, flowery. Um, when I was in between 8th grade and high school, like so many of my friends' grandparents, so many of my friends' aunts and uncles had this ugly-ass chair, and we all kind of identified to it. And it was the chair that was in the musty room or in you know, the deck going out to, you know, the view or in the basement where the kids, you know, jumped on and broke. Um, it's ugly, it's scratched, it's horrible. It's just like, to me, those, that thing means like so much because it's just like, oh, that stupid era. But mm-hmm. other people, it's just like, oh, that's really beautiful. Where do you get that? You know, it's that whole miss of a couple generations, you know? Sure. Even some of my, uh, my, like my, my my mom's age, you know, my aunt's uncle, they, they they totally remember that. It was oh, that was the worst era of any fabric on any chair, you know, because <laughs> it was new. It was like starting with plastic in it, right? And so it was like rigid. It's nasty. Sure, sure. So I think it helps. I think it helps both with that, uh, you know, going into specifics as far as the choices that I make. Now, if you want to. Um, like the fabric store would be like an episode. It was not an episode of like you know, Project One Way where everyone goes to the mood and they're like in and out doing them there. Like, right, right. Like looking at each one, I gotta take a piss like three or four times. <laughs> Ladies start to know me by name by the time I leave. I take some outside, look at it in the napkin. <laughs> go back in. I'm like, dude, that's not the right color. It's it's frustrating too um, because a lot of that deals with going back to color theory. You know. The color theory as far as, like, what does a visual color and a tactile color differ from a paint or a light source? Right. And trying to associate, you know, the color theory of, like, what makes you happier, the mood that the chair is presenting. Is it should be a, a color that should make you sick or, or jealous or feel that you're in trouble or feel that, oh, I want to laugh at this as well. So that's another challenging part because, you know, Designers, whoever makes some of these patterns, I, like the Nike shoes, I have no idea where these people went to school, but they need a talking to from us. You know? <laughs> and so it's really difficult to find something really simple sometimes, Dave. You know, sure. that's not so out there that you just can't use it in a piece of art in a gallery because it's just it doesn't make sense. Right. You know? Well. And, you know, it brings up an interesting point because I, th- I, th- I think there's a, you know, a number of different kind of things that you have going on. But, you know, maybe in kind of getting in front of that is I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about, um, you know, some of the differences in, in some of the pieces that are functional and then the ones that aren't, you know. Um, and I guess, I don't know, is it something where you're also kind of keeping a balance of all these things, too? And I, so I guess just since I'm throwing everything out there now. Um, we might as well talk about the the fir- like the lawn the lawn kind of pieces because you have these outdoor pieces as well. So we've got like these very abstracted out sculptural kind of pieces. These ones that are functioning outside um, that are again more of that sculptural ilk, and then these other ones that are you know functional. Um, so is that something where you're kind of cooking all these things at the same time, or I don't know? It's, it seems like you know 
and it's hard not to necessarily get too weird when I start talking food-related in terms of art, but I mean, you can think about the way that, that, that things get kind of fed and complemented by side dishes the same way that maybe side projects or, you know, things that kind of come off as a whim at first become this new avenue. So could you talk a little bit about, I guess, managing that, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that was a lot. That was like all encompassing, wasn't it? Um, what was the first one you wanted to know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, th- I thought there'd be a way that you might be able to bottle it for me, but it's just it's just the different the you know those those different bodies of work where you've got you know kind of indoor non functional, outdoor non functional, and then functional. Well, you know? the the functional kind of was a derivative from uh, those vessels, sort of this empty void of making these containers that look like chairs that were on those wall that almost became like these softest like these um, really nasty sort of like yours was empty vessel, so I tried to pull that up. And when we did our grad quits, they, they lasted forever, you know, hours upon hours, as you know, and most people out there know. And I would look at everyone's postures, and that's when I was just starting to do some upholstery mm-hmm. and figuring out body and what's really working. And so everyone had these weird shapes laying up against the wall, and you know, the fatigue starts to get in, and you can tell by just gesture and posture. Well, what if I made objects for those specific parts and pieces? Um, so that's where that function came from. And being at Studio Center for all those for two and a half years and having studio people always walking through and um, I got a lot of, oh, I love your furniture. And even if it wasn't functional, it was non-functional, they still had to be a furniture, you know? Right. Um, so I became the furniture guy. But it, <laughs> it, was, it frustrated people because I didn't really make real functional furniture. I always told them I can because I know how to. Right. That wasn't something that really, really, you know, made me want to go ruin my thumbs being a poster and, you know, be like the next Ames. I don't want to do that. You know, right. I'm going to be the next Angel of Arnold. It's not going to be. Right. <laughs> um, so the functionality was like a way to put something on the wall now. Um, most of my friends at grad school were painters. So I was competing with them with space. And they knew it. I knew it. But it was fun. So it was a nice, fun competition. But also, I provided them a station where you could rest now and lean back and look at your own painting on one of my pieces. So <laughs> they, they loved that whole time, you know? Right. Um, they were like, oh, I'll sacrifice that much for you. No problem, you know? Um, so that, that was where that function came. From and then, like, putting your body in different positions was that next step of like anguish. So, let's turn it now and make it anti furniture. You know, let's make it well, you can't sit on it because the legs are crossed, you can't get in there because it's crunched over. It's, it's not about you anymore, it's about a memory of a certain situation that you might be able to identify with. If not, get a crack at and smile at the object itself. You know? mm-hmm. um, I think we decided it was too much Dr. Seuss as a kid. Um, but I think that's good. I'm going to run with that one. Sure. So, they're, to me, they, they kind of like, one is the viewer and one is the object, but the stuff that's functional to me now is the actual object because you're going to sit and use it um, where the other ones are kind of like the viewer. They're watching us, and watching us get frustrated that we can't interact with Sure. And the outdoor pieces are, 
I started to work on this big, huge show and it, um, market it to a few museums. But the majority of this is um, the very large wooden chairs that are, and the chair that looks like a broom piece, mm-hmm. Apathy and Civic. Um, there's something about that wooden, simple fold-up chair, like church chair, in City Hall, you know, at the old school cafeterias, you know. A couple of us have them from, you know, like souvenirs from old schools. So I'm really taking those as like this identity to civic, you know, civilization, laws, people with power, because it's established, it's like institutionalized. And I'm doing with these camping chairs, trying to relate them to us as just like your middle class people barely hanging on. I hope we don't get in trouble for all this. But so I'm trying to have this power of hierarchy. So my installation is going to be like hundreds of these camping chairs battling hundreds of these wooden chairs. So to me, it's these little experiments, you know, as I mentioned before, that give to me the next stepping stone to look back and go, yeah, that's working. That's working. I'm kind of done with this because there's nothing else I could do with it anymore. And I'm not the furniture guy. Right. The artist. Right. Um, so, and they're becoming simpler and easier for me to make. You know, my, an upholsterer's done seven years. I've surpassed that. And I don't, I don't know what else I can do with it. You know, right. except get bigger. But that requires, as you know, a larger studio space and studio assistance. And I'm not there yet. Um, and a Bill Gates uh, bankroll. That's right. A couple more foundations on my side. (laughs) Um, But that's where that's heading. That's heading into this, I mean, camping chairs. No one's, you know, I should knock on wood. I'm not trying to be like that. But no one's really playing with it, I do. And it's so simple. And we use them all the time. And they're the most freaking uncomfortable things ever. Right. They're just ridiculous. So why not bring them to life and make them do the things that we used to do? So now we watch them play. And every single one of us has those. Even if it's got holes in it from like, you know, 10 years ago, you still have it. Right. You break it out and the cup holder doesn't work anymore. <laughs> the one thing, and after a while you're just done and you throw it away. Well, those wooden chairs, you don't throw those away. Sure. Your grandma ends up giving you one. You give it to your grandson someday. Right. You know, and it's, it's still this hierarchy of like, this is what we used to do. We used to carry this shit with us. Now we have this light, beautiful, you know, oh, mine's red, white, and blue. What's yours? You know? Right, right. Three years later, that red, white, and blue thing's in like a dumpster. You know? Well, that wooden chair is still at grandma's house. And she's still lugging it to the ballgame, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of really into this. I'm diverting it, and, and I'm twisting my objects. I'm really making them more dynamic so they become more us, more of an attitude, more of an edge. Um, and I'm not trying to be Disney. I'm not trying to be like Dr. Seuss, but I've learned so much and I know how to do this now. And I think it's finally all come to a head this year where it's like, I think I have it. I think I've got the dream is fun. The skills have matched the dream now. So let's test it. Let's see if, let's see if put your money where your mouth is, you know? Right, right. My hands, you could do it. So that's where I'm at now with the, with the, What's going on with the work? I'm trying to get those two to really have a dialogue and interaction between them physically, representing ourselves and the anger we're going through every single day now. Um, as just 
global and a populous, you know? Right. Just a civilized people trying to, like, you know, help your neighbor and eat something, right. you know? Take care of someone's kid. Come on, really. So that's where I'm going with that. It may be a political push, and it's going to grow slowly. Um, in September, I'll have sort of a prelude to, you know, the next step of those two interacting. Um, have a solo show at Union College in New York, and uh, there's going to be a piece there. It's going to be a six, seven foot wooden chair twisting, looking down, and a camping chair that's about our size, looking up, you know, just starting this sort of interaction of like, you know, hey, you know, I'm talking to you, you know, please listen to me. And that might even incorporate sort of like this weird security type of chair, the old wooden desk chair with the spindles and old heavy got the ass prints in it, you know, and the little hump right there where your groin's supposed to be. And, and I think those were made for women because that's not really comfortable for guys, whoever designed that one. Um, <laughs> so I think I'm going to have a big beefy one like twisting and turning like, you know, like that whole state, you know, like, hey, keep away from the tall guy. Um, so we'll see. I mean, that's, it's going to be there so long. Sure. You'll see it. We're, we're buds. <laughs> well, it, you know, it, I, I don't want to necessarily, necessarily tie up too much in this because I think you gave a lot there. But, you know, we, we talk, especially when you're when you're in school and, um, you know, if you're in any kind of environment where you're really kind of, um, you know, invested in research and, and kind of going through all sorts of history, how does, how does that role of research kind of play into, you know, the kind of things that you're talking about? Are you drawing them out from you know, reading, you know, the latest survey book, or is it more than from your, it sounds like maybe from your life, too. Yeah, there's, it, that's a huge one. I mean, it's, it's glimpses and, and images from my life, but it's also the research of uh, the time period and what, what the designers do for me to address that power, to address um, simplicity of design, to, to make a nation stop and go like, oh, that's that's the new chair for us. That's the image that we want. Um, at the same time, you know, going to taking your little head grab and going to a Walmart and tracking up miles and looking all the time and shit. And then going to an antique barn in Vermont that's just got the same amount of space and the same amount of crap. Um, there's something really desirable about uh, old handmade, you know, the the feel of it, the smell of it. And um, I think for me, those are just as important as looking at you know, all the Queens, you know, all the Chippendales, all the Ottomans, you know, all the Ames designs, all the Bauhaus, although I refer to them all the time, um, not just to see what type of material, you know, because at that time, you know, the material was the main issue, and technology. So we're always, we're always crossing those bridges. And when it became more acceptable to get steel, they made steel. When came couldn't buy leather anymore, they moved vinyl. So it's like that technology is a derivative of that market. Um, but it's not something they go immediately to. There's been a couple times where I've been doing some drawings, David, and. Uh, you know, I thought I had a really good idea. I thought I was on something really good. And I'd go to one of my uh, 
furniture books or I'd go to one of my history books or I'd thumb through something and I'd see I'd see that from like, you know, eighteen seventy four. And it's like, did I did that just get caught in my flutter brain back here? Or, you know, is there something more intuitive to the body and, and how we rest than I thought? And um, so that's a tough one, you know, because I don't want to, you know, regurgitate shit that's already been done. You know, that's not what I why I do this stuff. If I did that, I would be a virgin. Right. Um, but I also want to borrow and not do the same thing and make a fool of myself or have someone stand up at an election and say, well, hey, do you know David Linwald's book? You know? And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, no, I, I don't. Well, he's been doing this. You know, Christ was born. <laughs> so I don't want any of that. You know what I mean? Right, so right. you got to draw the line. That's why I still got to take that personal approach, uh, my own history, my own ridiculous you know, past the furniture, and, 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 and then and then kind of work more with what I want to do, whether I make you smile or make you angry. You know, those sure. those two things. Well, and it's funny you bring that up the that last little bit because I was going to ask. There's there's certainly like a lot of wit, and I I don't know. There, I think you know some pieces are are pretty funny. You know, is and I guess maybe I should I should just rephrase this a little bit. Like, how much of this is really just like you being a little little boy kind of playing I mean it seems like so much of it is about that is it, is it a, I'd imagine it's not always fun but I mean is that some, some something that's intended to because so I was going to say that in, in the pieces where you've got these you know kind of outdoor chairs that we were talking about and then the, the really ornate ones I mean it, it's kind of tackling um, a subject that you know can be kind of serious you know at least it seems like you know you're kind of maybe bringing up an idea of um you know, maybe different political classes or, or just classes or, you know, that relationship. And you're doing it in a way that's kind of fun at the same time as it is serious. So, I mean, it seems like that would be, I don't know, something that people people might be able to access a little bit differently than something that's like a documentary about, you know, some tragedy or, or something like that. So, I mean, is that a humor, like a way for people in, do you think? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a really good approach there. I think you, you, that's a nice way to back into it as well. Is You're absolutely right. Um, the last thing I want to do as a visual artist is offend anybody. Um, and if I do, I apologize up front. You, you may it may, you may have had it come. Um, but that's not my, my goal is to get tagged and labeled as, oh, a troublemaker, or oh, he's political, or oh, he's, well, the furniture guy. Right. Um, but, um, no, so I think that humor is a way for me to let you have access so you don't pass it. You at least give me three seconds and go, there's something wrong with that. Oh, I value the craft. I'm moving on. Well, right. At least I, I won for a little bit there. If I can capture you for eight seconds, it's a total victory. Um, and you didn't look at the title first. So, yes, that, that is a way for me to get in. And I think once you get in, as you know from your work, that opens that door and that person's in there and they'll decide what it's about to them and then they'll decide if it's if they value it or if it if it's correct or not or you know whatever that that plan is to look at your art and decide something um 
Well, I think it's a great way to have a, a conversation, you know, which is something that, yes, you know, it's it's very difficult to kind of have, and you know, something that you know, I think anybody that's been to school, you know, can kind of think about that idea of the viewer. But I'm, you know, that's that's all I was going to say is that it seems like having that having that approach is going to allow for a much better conversation than one that's, you know, just super antagonistic or, or really kind of separating. Like, again, that idea of the, like, an us versus them kind of mentality. And I think, you know, I think that's something that obviously, aside from just the arts and everything, you know, something that's very easy to get caught up in, in you know, contemporary society is a very us versus them kind of attitude about things. Right. And, and, it, and if you keep it somewhat light, um, even very serious topics or issues that people are on the fence about, um, with the humor, you don't immediately offend and you're not going to the defensive and having your eyebrows up and your fingers shaking. You at least have a way in to joke about comfortably. Um, and then you can make your mind up later. But I think if you keep it, everything on the enlightened, you at least draw people in and people won't be upset right off the bat and not even give you the time of day because you're that guy, or you're that girl, you know, uh, or it's too political, it's too, if they get it that way, if they read it right off the bat, more power to you, if you don't, and you came up with your own thing that's working for you, and you still like the work, cool, I mean, that's, right. that's a, that's a win-win. Well, and, you know, we're kind of almost nearing the end, and I always kind of like to talk a little bit about, you know, the person a little bit, but since we are talking about a universality, what, um, you know what? What music? Uh, what music unites everyone? I don't know. I've, I found out actually that through uh, Radiolab, which I don't know if you ever heard, um, it's a great program. But uh, they had an episode about country music, and, and apparently that's like the world's most accessible, popular music, where they you know have twenty, I don't know, twenty million listeners of like Dolly Parton in you know. Right. In, in places that you'd never think of, you know, uh, you know, African countries or whatever, and, I, and I'm totally serious about that. But what a, what's that musical soundtrack to your life? To, um, that's a toughie, you know. <laughs> uh, I, I, like, so- I still like a lot of my uh, my old rockers, you know, um, like you know, the Stones. Gotta love the Stones. The Clash, um, Replacements. Um, so I think between those three, they, they branch off all over the place, going down the pavement to Johnny Cash, to Wilco, to, um, Prince, to even I'll throw in some Kiss, man, you know, lick it up. Um, <laughs> so I mean, to me, the music is important. Um, lately all I've been doing is just going on the, um, the, uh, iTunes radio, picking mm-hmm. something that's just, you know, white noise, like, and I do it by culture. So, like, one week I'll have Iranian music, the next week I'll have Indian music, and then I'll have Celtic music. And so, and then I'll have some jazz and some blues. But then the jazz and the blues, the, musically, they'll suck me in. You know, same with the rock and roll, suck me in because I know the chords or the drums, or, you know, then you get carried away with your little, you know, air band jam real quick. Um, <laughs> so sometimes I, I, don't, I don't want the same, you know, I just want the noise so I can drown out what tool I'm using. Sure, know? sure. Um, so that's the latest trend for me, is just taking something on um, 
iRadio would just let me glow. Sure, you know? sure. Well, Luke in Vermont, I've, I've got a great appreciation for bluegrass. Um, quite amazing. But, you know, all of my fans and my friends out there, country music, contemporary new country music, uh, sorry, man. Sure, sure. Well, you know, all the old stuff, of course, because it's like gospel and it's really to the soul and there's no, you know, there's no trucks and there's no dogs and there's no broken hearts, you know, it's just like this kind of weird, simple feeling, I guess. I don't know. Right. But, yeah, my wife is out there, so listen to books. Right. You know, so I can't listen to books while I work. I never get anything done. Right. <laughs> well, and so what? What? What else keeps you uh, from getting things done? So I know that that's supposed to that's supposed to sound like the question, but it's really just trying to be as direct as possible there. Yeah. You know, without without having you go through uh, all the movies that you watch or all of these things or all of these things. But you know what? What occupies your time um, when you're not you know just in the studio working and you know kind of in that moment? Right. Other than you know. We all know jobs because we've got to work. Um, living here, uh, I just like I mean outdoors. You know, it's it's really beautiful and peaceful out there. It's like it's the weirdest place ever, still to me. And I've lived here since '07. As this that you can pull over anywhere. There's a trail, and there's nobody with a gun, or you know, there's no real scary. Place. I mean, you're going to bump into a pot field every once in a while, but it's not like, oh, I'm going to get raped and killed. You know, you know what I sure. mean? There's not that many people live here. Right. So that's cool to go swimming in a river, to like look at a river, to actually not, you can see the bottom of it. Um, so that stuff's still really new again to me. I feel like I'm young in high school again. Um, the other things, as you mentioned, movies are a good distraction. Um, and just trying to be social and trying to, you know, go out with your buddies, you know, have a pint or meet for dinner or go see an event or someone's show. Um, yeah, as far as, like, you know, I'm not distracted because I don't have an iPhone. So I don't, I'm not texting people. I'm not watching streamlining. Yeah, exactly. I'm not doing all this great stuff. I just use that. All right, excellent. <laughs> because, you know, I got a laptop for all that stuff. Sure. Um, when I get too wild, I need to calm down, you know, play some video games, you know, just to go to my own my own kingdom there for a moment, you know. Well, just to interrupt this for a little tangent, I, I was really... I had this really strange kick earlier in the year of because uh, I'd never heard of Minecraft before. Have you heard of this at all? No. It's kind of, again, it's interesting because I wonder, you know, so much of the kind of things that you're talking about are really about experience, you know, right. and very much relate to your work. And so one of the things that we're talking about in distraction are those things that maybe are kind of the opposite in that regards. And so Minecraft is like an online kind of community game where you're you fashion things, I guess, in some kind of survival mode, weird kind of atmosphere, but you're kind of meant to engineer all these things. And so people have gotten into this super elaborately to the point that I had seen a, a video where people decided to recreate the uh, Star Trek The Next Generation Enterprise to scale. Wow. 
And it's ridiculous because it's nine months of like anonymous people all working on this virtual project to construct some. It's just a very strange thing. And that sounds like more work than relaxing. Right, right. But it, it's well, it's just it's just interesting because it occupies such a different, I think, type of um, idea of you know of of maybe a way of living or, or I don't know. And it could be that we're just old, you know, you and I. And it's and again, uh, it's not like I'm that much old. You know what I mean? It's not like I'm ancient either. But uh, anyways, I kind of get diverted from that um, when I hear video games. So. Um, and that's all good stuff. Um, you know, just the last couple of things before we head out. Um, you know, I always like to ask people what the what the last uh, kind of show that they saw that kind of really rocked them was. And so, if you could kind of maybe just uh, shed some light on that first. Oh man, um, it's kind of tough because it was my on, show. Come on anywhere, like <laughs> we haven't been to. Well, the this could be this could be retroactive, if you will. Uh, um, I don't know. I, I I'm gonna have to get back with you. <laughs> well, um, one was show we saw her staring at New York City last year. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was okay. I saw a show. This was horrible in 2005 at, at LACMA, the Object Show, and that had some of my favorite artists, Washworker. Uh, had uh, Don Judd had those all those minimalist guys in it, and at the time I was exploring, and I liked the work and the medium and the object as object. So that was still something that resonates. All the writings about that show, the object for object's sake. So I'm gonna have to say that. Nice, nice. I gotta get to the city. So. <laughs> well, and, and last thing, just to just to do it, so I don't have to do it. If you could just. Um you know, walk us through some of those shows that you have coming up to, to look forward to. Okay, um, right right now I'm in that outdoor uh, show in Stowe, Vermont, if anyone's ever in Stowe, Vermont, okay. <laughs> um, those are the ones where the new, the new group's starting to show up the first place, which is the camping chips. Um, so that could be the catalyst where people go back to, to be like, oh, I see how he made those, that's nice. Um, I've got um, a show coming up um, also in Burlington, which is called Open House, we just had a catalog release date yesterday. Um, a couple of curators came to see the show as well. Uh, there was a little talk and discussion. Um, that's in Burlington, Vermont. Um, got one at uh, Mary Washington in Virginia. Um, August starts in August. Uh, two indoor pieces are going on there, and I'm trying to make finish a portable, sort of collapsible, not solid steel camping chip. This one's going to be more, you know, easier f- to ship. And that's what I want to say earlier. A lot of my work's becoming more and more cardboard-based. Mm-hmm. So it's lighter. I can kind of fold it down a little bit, get it in a box to ship it. Because, as you know, nonprofits, no one's paying for shipping anymore. Being a sculptor, it sucks. Painters, it's bad enough, but objects... Um, and then I have uh, a solo show at uh, Union College in uh, New York, uh, starting September 1st, and um, a couple other things I'm waiting to hear back on. So it's been been a good busy year that I've needed. Um, sure. There for a while, I just put too much energy into teaching and thought that was going to 
take me to the next level because I thought that's maybe what other colleges wanted. So, well, what can you teach? What can you do? And I realized that, fuck it, man, I'm an artist. I'm just going to make art and do what I want to do because this makes me happy and look at teaching as a part-time job. And then someone's going to knock on my door and say, hey, we want you to teach here, right? Right. <laughs> so that that's the dream, dude. But realistically, uh, I'm really having a really good time making it again. You know, and that was what was great about the studio center being there. It's like I got to be a studio artist for two and a half years and work kind of. <laughs> right, right. You know, and I feel like I'm back in that stage where all my old energy that was working to pay for bills is now like I'm not worried about it anymore. The money's coming in. Regardless, so go back to being an artist, and so I'm really having a good time again. Excellent, excellent. Well, thanks again, Angelo. I really appreciate you coming on and uh, talking all about your work and all the stuff that's uh, going to be out there in the future for us to see. Good. Well, I was glad to be on the show, and it's a great, it's a great opportunity for me and you. And uh, thanks, thanks a lot. Man. It was really fun. All right, well, that's today's show. We want to thank Angelo for coming on. And once again, you can see more of his work by visiting angelo.arnold.com. As always, our music this week was found at freemusicarchive.org, where there's thousands and thousands of songs that you can download for free. Our artist this week was Waylon Thornton. Intro song, American Heart, and Blue Springs Forever taking us out. And once again, if this is your first time listening, remember, if you need material to listen to while you work in the studio and you like podcasts, check out Studio Break on iTunes. Go to the iTunes store, search for Studio Break, and subscribe there. We've got about 40-some different episodes, a lot of them at this point, so plenty of listening, so please check us out there. And once again, we'd really appreciate it if someone... I think we've had one person so far left us some feedback there. Again, it just increases a little bit of visibility, and I know it takes a minute, but we'd really, really appreciate it. Of course, if you're a member of Facebook, we've got a Facebook community page. Just check out Studio Break there. We've got plenty of updates and images, like the recent hot images for Ben Gardner's show at Best Friends Gallery. So, great way to get updates and see previews for who's coming on and who we've had in the past and what they're doing now so please like us there if you're curious about what i do you can always check out my work davidlinaway.com and i will remind anyone in the central illinois area that this is the final week to see scavenge landscapes which closes at the peoria art guild so please check that out once again if you're interested in work and you haven't exactly won the lottery i have prints available at five pieces gallery and little paper planes that's all the show we have this week we hope you enjoyed it and we'll talk to you real soon